sounds great. I could do like an electronic music set. Yeah, it sounds a little <laughs> echoey. Oh, yeah. All right, welcome to another episode of the Beer Opinions Podcast. My name is Pat Berger from Kaiser Tiger and Patty Longs, and with me, as always, is Bruce White of the Chicago Beer Tour Experience. Experience. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's ruining my opening that you uh, changed the Well, you didn't change the name. <laughs> I just never got it right before. Yeah. I had somebody else uh, a few days ago be like, um, you for, know, the name's wrong. First, first, you changed your name, which screwed me up for the first 20 episodes, and now it's your business uh, name. Uh-huh. All right, I'll get it right one of these days. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, um, you know, we're going to get right to it. We are uh, recording live, which is an oxymoron, at uh, Mars Brewing Company. In fact, we are in... The Ruben Kincaid Project Room. Yeah, this room's awesome. Yeah, nice little private area space here at yeah. Mars Brewing in uh, the glorious Bridgeport, Chicago. Uh, and with us is their uh, their uh, supreme leader. Uh, you probably don't like that title. I don't know what to call you, Ed. Yeah, I've, uh, successful failure. Successful <laughs> failure, Ed yeah. Marzuski. Lead, lead successful failure. Yes, uh, uh, v- you know, visionary. Uh, um, uh, uh, I don't know. Mayor uh, of Bridgeport. Is, Mayor of Bridgeport. That, oh, that written? Yeah, that's no. he doesn't want, he doesn't like that. <laughs> Almost <laughs> certainly not the Barker of Bridgeport. Um, like, uh, oh, that's good though. I mean, we could yeah, use that. We could use that. Yeah. Uh, well, technically, we're at the gateway of Bridgeport. Just so you guys know, this is technically mckinley park so we've expanded our footprint into another neighborhood oh we're in mckinley park yeah, yeah. yeah. if you cross bubbly creek you enter mckinley park okay yeah even though i consider this uh, the greater bridgeport area ah, that's, suburb of bridgeport yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 an up-and-coming neighborhood <laughs> mckinley yeah. park yeah. absolutely yeah the home of uh this is where brandon lives my draft tech who oh. refuses to come on the podcast because it involves talking <laughs> well, you know those draft texts. They just want to keep their headphones on, listen to listen to music, and Total just use nerds. sign language to communicate to <laughs> bar owners. It's all true. Yeah, it's all true. Or use scraps of paper to write down words. <laughs> we'll get Brandon on one of these days, but it'll be a terrible episode. So, uh, anywho, he doesn't listen. We can say whatever we want about him. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, so Ed is um, owner operator of Mars Brewing Company. He's got um, the Lumpen Empire that includes the Co Prosperity Sphere in Bridgeport, which is a um, sort of a community space. It's uh, I've been to many many events there, uh, a myriad of events. It's also home of Lumpen Radio, which I believe Ed is also the uh, grand poobah of, and um, formerly of Maria's Package Goods. Uh, had to divest that in order to open the brewery. Mm-hmm. And um, a longtime publisher of such things as the Lumpen, uh, what do you call it, a zine? Uh, uh, Lumpen Magazine. Magazine. Yeah. And uh, also Mash Tun Journal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure I'm leaving some things out. It's, it's, okay. it's a long list. It's fine. <laughs> let's, let's go way back, right? So before. You mean the 60s? Yes. Yeah, let's yes. go. All right, let's start there. When you were born, you remember that. Uh, no, but like, uh, you know, I can say I first met you. You don't remember this, and, but um, I was in college. I had a friend that wrote for Lumpen, 
And Lumpen was it was a big deal. Uh, it still is, right? I mean, it's still being published, mm -hmm. and uh, it's morphed in all these other things. Um, it was a free publication that you would get at your at you know the most esoteric bars and coffee shops and all that kind of stuff. That was all a thing, by the way, in the eighties and nineties. Kids, uh, these <laughs> printed the printed word. Yeah, you would pick up a magazine or a free paper at your bookstore, club, yep. retail outlet, and read it to find out what was happening. Right. Wait a second. What what was this like? <laughs> yeah, and <coughs> it and wasn't you, on your phone. In fact, your phone yeah. was connected to the wall in your apartment. Uh, yeah. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, it was. It came out monthly. It was back then. It was called the Lumpen Times. Lumpen Times. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, that that was. Uh, you know, that's how we met all these different people in the music worlds, the hospitality industry, writers. I'm sure we met your your friend. Uh, who was it? Uh, it was Bob. I don't know if you remember Bob and Ron's record hour. They had a little radio show on uh, with, um, uh, what's his name, the, the disco demolition guy. Um, oh, he was working with uh, Steve Dahl. Steve, Steve Dahl, yeah. And then he wrote a, I think it was a record review column okay. or something from Lumpen. Yeah, we uh, used to review records. Yeah. <laughs> this is really... <laughs> this is really uh, a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But what was, you know, interesting about it is that, you know, there were a lot of zines out there back in the day about music and uh we covered a lot of the local music scene as well as international and national stuff. So yes, fans would come yes. to the town, we'd interview them, but we would pr we would definitely do a good job of uh reviewing locally produced uh, uh music. So yeah, yeah Bob probably wrote with along with uh, um God, Chris, Christine Harmony, I believe, was, was the editor back in the 90s, and then Forrester Cobalt, and a bunch of different people were the music editors, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it was a weird time, because you would read a publication uh, to figure out what was going on, and I think back then, Lumpen was like the, uh, the um, alternative to the reader, actually. We totally, were, sure. We were further yeah. uh, left or progressive uh, than the reader was. And oftentimes we would make fun and parody all the other publications. Like we would we would do parody issues uh, that would um, make fun of the reader, New City, um, Sub Nation. I don't know if you remember Sub Nation. I do. Yeah. Oh my yeah. Uh, yeah. The Baffler, which was a leading kind of progressive journal published out of Hyde Park, and uh, it was fun. It was a good time. It was uh, a time when uh, satire was an art form. Uh, less of a in-your-face kind of comedic routine. Right, right. Um, which now it's, uh, well, it's its own art form, but it all yeah. it all comes out of your phone now, doesn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But and, we, uh, and also does the local music scene. I mean, you know, you would need something like Lumpen to tell you about a, an obscure show that the reader wasn't covering. And uh, now there's an Instagram page for that. You know, the, yeah. um, it's sort Band of... Bandcamp, every, every source of uh, contact with the internet, yeah. Right. So how did um, uh, Lumpen Times morph into Mars Brewing? I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff in between there. You, uh, you got involved with your mom's bar, Maria's Packaged Goods. Yeah, well, you know, as a, as a growing up, you know, we were always in the family business. Uh, our family had a bar when I was a kid in a little village called uh, Jim's 31st Street Inn. It was my father's bar. And he passed away, and my mother took it over. And I, you know, my brother and I would often drive with my mom to work and stay in the back apartment while she was working uh, in the summers. And then she'd work there, of course, um, most, almost every day while we were growing up. And uh, over time, 
when I got old enough, I started working in her bars. So she left, she sold that bar, started a beautiful place called House of Kim, a Korean Japanese restaurant in the southwest side of Chicago. Nice. Imagine that in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> How do you explain sushi to someone uh, by Chicago Ridge? And uh, I was a waiter there. Uh, I remember making all kinds of Midori melon cocktails for people uh, and bringing them next to the pond where they were dining on their Korean bulgogi or sushi plates. A lot of green drinks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just I've always been in the business. Uh, even when we I graduated school, started interning and working at In These Times, which is a national progressive uh, democratic socialist uh, run uh, magazine now. It always was. Moved to the Bucktown neighborhood, got a house. But while working In These Times, we realized how boring the left was and how um, it wasn't really appealing or speaking to our generation X back then. Mm-hmm. That's how we kind of rebooted the zine that we started in college and started it in Chicago. And, you know, by working on the magazine in Chicago and uh, working in the arts and journalism, you don't get paid a lot of money. So I always had three or four jobs besides publishing uh, Lumpen. And I would always work at my mom's new bar at that point, which was called Kaplan's, which we now know as Maria. So I've always been working in a bar the majority of my existence. When did, uh, so, you know, Maria's was kind of revolutionary when it sort of changed from a, uh, you know, kind of regular Bridgeport beer in a shop place into, you know, morphed into more of what it is today, which is, you know, really hardcore beer bar with a incredible selection of beer in the, in the, in the, in the to-go area. Um, when did all of that start to, to go down? Well, you know, I lived in and out of the neighborhoods of Wicker Park and, and Bucktown and uh, the West Loop and Bridgeport throughout most of my life. And I've always worked there, always knew the neighborhood, always knew the people who worked at uh, the bar. And oftentimes my friends would come down there and that's where we'd have our meetings. It was like office hours to hang out while I was bartending. So it always had a bunch of freaks in there, artists as well as ex-cons and felons and gangbangers drinking there, right, retirees. Yeah. And we, all, we, we actually did all kinds of programming there, events, karaoke performances, just weird, surreal stuff in the middle of Bridgeport, which at that time had a reputation of being very tough, kind of... Uh, yeah, very blue-collar, blue very collar. Um, old-school so, Chicago. Yeah, right? let's, like, let's call it that. That's a nice way of calling it, Peg. <laughs> That's, is that the nice way of saying racist? Yeah, or xenophobic. <laughs> yeah. And it's like... Xenophobic, that's a good yeah. word. Yeah, and tra- that's longer. Traditional Irish, right? Like, well, yeah, multi-ethnic, uh, multi-ethnic in terms of European ethnicities, uh, sure. Polish, Lithuanian, uh, Italian, uh, okay. Irish. So, you know, even back then, the neighborhood was very tough. That part of Bridgeport was the so-called bad side of Bridgeport. And there were a lot of gangs at the intersection of where Kaplan's was. Mm-hmm. And somehow uh, we all survived not being um, shot although many people were shot and killed in front of the building and down the block um, over the course of uh, the time we've had the place. So it was a pretty dangerous place. Um, and then, you know, in the mid-2000s, uh, my mother was getting kind of tired of dealing with this environment, and frankly, we were as well. Um, yeah, you got to be worried about her there all the time. Oh, yeah, I mean, I installed bulletproof plate mm-hmm. um, metal shields in the windows, so when mm-hmm. she was sitting down by her little desk by the window, she could avoid being a victim of uh, stray bullets. Yeah. Uh, it's always somewhat nerve-wracking, actually, uh, as you know, running a bar, uh, but especially so down there. But, you know, we got to know the neighborhood. We know it was, a, it was besides that kind of uh, uh, 
thin layer of violence from the gang activity. It was always a great, quiet, beautiful place. Neighbors were nice. Everyone's cool. Um, yeah, there's a real community in Bridgeport. It kind of always has been, right? Yeah, People know each other. And, exactly. You really yeah. do. I mean, maybe I'm just so unfamiliar with living in other neighborhoods where you don't know everybody who's walking by you, but in Bridgeport you do. Yeah. So, um, and of course, as we turn to the 20th century, you know, the internet uh, blew up at the turn of the century. I was involved in a lot of art projects, uh, started more publications, started a couple of international festivals. And while at the bar, uh, I was able to... Uh, know everyone in the neighborhood and one of the neighbors said hey you want to buy the building down the block which is where the co-prosperity sphere is mm. and it was an abandoned building for 20 years it was the headquarters uh, squat of one of the uh, gangs here and i foolishly said yes i'd like <laughs> to buy that building <laughs> so that's how i i'm kind of got even more permanent roots here i lived four blocks away on parnell and 32nd in an old closed down bar actually okay um and uh, we got that space and it's because we started that art space that we started having more exhibitions and more programming there. More people started coming in the neighborhood, but there were really were few places you could go except for Kaplan's mm -hmm. if you wanted to hang out in the neighborhood. And even then, it was somewhat rough. Uh, the other bars in the neighborhood, if you walked in, everyone would stare at you, and you would be definitely intimidated, and you would never go back to that bar again. Yeah, uh, they, they, they didn't want anyone no one sent, right? Exactly. That the is, old Chicago That scene. is the true vibe of the majority of the neighborhood at that time. Um, so we would work at the bar. Um, I would babysit uh, old men in the daytime. Uh, we'd watch the games, watch uh, Jeopardy. If I got on my computer the next day, my mom would say, honey, why were you on the computer? You know, old man Jake, he likes to talk to people. It's not very nice for you to ignore him all day. <laughs> and every day, every time I worked there, I did something wrong. Didn't turn the game on at the right time. Yeah. Uh, forgot to stock uh, PBRs, you know, something, <laughs> right? Wheel of Fortune's yeah. on at 4 o'clock, yeah. okay? Uh, not 4.05, yeah. Ed. And at the time, we tried to, I tried to, we had like two crappy distributors, a Miller and Bud distributor, and I would try to order good beer from them on occasion, which, yeah. you know, which was New Belgian. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, Pilsner Urkel. The day Pilsner Urkel got on draft was a major tragedy and hot, <laughs> very contentious day. <laughs> we got rid of the the Miller Light uh, or the Miller Draft handle and replaced it with Pilsner or Cal. Oh, and God. everyone freaked out. <laughs> and the price of beer went from a dollar twenty-five to two twenty-five for that but Pilsner or Cal. I thought this was America. Highway robbery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of the climate back then for beer, right? And we're talking mid two thousands even. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was doing this in in uh, Lakeview at the time and having a tr you know having a time of it, you know, getting some pushback. I can't imagine what it was like in Bridgeport doing oh, yeah. the same thing, you yeah. know? Yeah. I mean, I was in a, a fancy, you know, rich white neighborhood, yeah. um, and they were like, where the fuck's the high life, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm sure you were getting it. Oh, yeah. We, you know, I would have to hand sell all that new Belgian products to people who live in the neighborhood. There are also a lot of artists from all over the city who moved in down Morgan Street, which was that shooting gallery back in the day. They live in their in the, they live in the storefront where they have their studio up front and their apartment in back. But it was a true community of artists and weirdos, along with uh, all the different other groups of people that were living down there. And it was through that experience. We're in a working brewery, by the way. So yeah. ignore any sounds you hear. <laughs> this is uh, uh, this is what it's like the, yeah. live at Mars Brewing. Yeah. But yeah, um, you know, 
so there was a, there were people there who wanted to drink some 21st century beverages. And it was, I believe, in 2010, gosh, 2009. I, I'm sorry, I forget. My mother's like, I'm kind of done with this place. And, and we're like, great. I don't want to babysit old, old men anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, we were having our space down the block. I was still working three or four jobs. Um, who knows what I was doing? Uh, we had all these different publications. We had a, an art magazine called Proximity that we did for four or five years. We still kept doing our annual version festival, which was a confluence of activist artists, educators, uh, new media artists and weirdos from around the world talking about different subjects of the day. And I was busy. So I'm like, yeah, you should close it. It's, it's you know, we're tired of doing this. Or you know what, mom, will you let me drink there? Can we, can, can Mike and I just take it over and make it a place that we could go into? Because even up to that day, if I wasn't working at the bar and I went in there with my friends, my mother would say, you have to go home. Just have one drink and get out of here. <laughs> like, you, you, I don't want you to drink. You know, she, she does not want us to drink. So I couldn't even really hang out at the bar unless I was working that bar. Gotcha. So we'd always go to Skylark or Bernice's. Yeah. Right. So I said, you know, Mom, it would be really great if we could just turn the beer or the bar into a, uh, a place that we would like to drink at. You know, the, the galleries down the block. I mean, we have shows. There's... Neighborhood's getting a little bit safer. It's not as dangerous. It might be a great place for people to hang out in because there's not anywhere to hang out. She's like, no, you guys don't know how to run a bar. You don't know what you're doing. We're like, okay, that's cool. A couple weeks later, we're at a a family um, dinner, and she brought it up, and she's like, do you kids really think you want to do this? And I was like, well, no, no, but we could. He's like, well, if we do it together, maybe we could do it. I'm like, all right, great. So she told us, and that's when we turned it into Maria's, which is really what everyone called the place the whole time. Right, right. It was under the old license of Kaplan's. Yeah. I've never even heard of Kaplan's. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. So yeah. everyone called it Maria's, and right. we changed to Maria's, and that's when we added the, at that time, only like 10 drafts. Mm-hmm. But as you know, Pat, once you get your hands on all the distributors' books, you know, you want to try every single beer. Yeah, it's hard that to comes say no. in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we basically bought every single beer <laughs> that was available in Chicago and tried all of them. Back when you could. Yeah. Right? Impossible task today. Yeah. And the menu had kept going from like 100 bottles and cans to 200 to 300 <laughs> to 400. So it got to 500. And we're all like, there's no way we're ever going to be able to figure out how to sell this beer. Or retrieve it. We had a little tiny cool. We had we would keep growing with coolers and was driving us nuts. And but that's how Maria's started. We we started off with uh, craft beer, like our, just freaking out at everything. We can get everything. It right, was right. beautiful. And of course, then we met you know the cats at Half Acre. We met the Revolution dudes. Uh, we met um, you know some of the few breweries that were operating then. And uh, yeah. getting their liquid was uh, a treat. Like getting Half Acre past Roosevelt Road was unheard of. It was for a long time. Yeah. You can, they did not touch the south side exactly. for a while. They couldn't supply it. Yeah. So what happened, though, is that everyone in the neighborhood was like, holy cow, there's finally a place we can go to. Yeah. And, and we started meeting people we didn't even know lived in the neighborhood because they were afraid to go to Kaplan's because for sure they went in there once and there was a dude that smelled like urine and shit sitting next to them <laughs> and another guy trying to hit on them, buying them some seven and seven cocktails. <laughs> so they probably went in there once, got some squares and got a six pack and they got the hell out. Right. Yeah. Now they came back and they freaked out. They were delighted. And, 
you know, really, really the place just was uh, gangbusters uh, since, that, since that time. Um, and, you know, through that experience, of course, we started marrying, meeting all the local uh, beer nerds and freaks and homebrewers and weirdos. My brother was homebrewing. My brother-in-law was homebrewing. We all had fantasies of making beer. We started talking about it. We started meeting at the brewery to talk about, like, wow, let's try this beer. Oh, man, this beer sucks. We, my, my so-and-so beer is better than this shit. <laughs> and then we're like, why don't we? And then, you know, through experiencing the, the, uh, the beer culture at that time, we're like, you know, and we saw what Half Acre did on, on Lincoln Avenue. We're like, you know, Maria's had a huge impact at uh, creating a third place here in Bridgeport and transforming it from this kind of xenophobically weirdo, don't go to Bridgeport neighbor to a, a place where you could go to because there's at least a cool place to hang out and get some good beers in. And we saw the effect of that. And in fact, the effect of the bar uh, was incredible. It was uh, more impactful than like our gallery down the block. You know how big that place is. Right, yeah. We'd have group shows every couple of weeks. We'd have tons of events. We'd have talks, screenings, hearings. But people would just go to that place on those events and split. They didn't have a place to hang out on a daily basis mm -hmm. or whatever, frequent basis. And Maria's became that place. And it just really blew my mind. I'm like, I've been doing art and music and journalism stuff forever to get people to get together and have all these different ideas uh, intermingle with each other. It's nothing compared to having a bar where everyone could just sit, chill over a drink, and hammer through or argue out through ideas or projects. And it uh, really was a multiplier effect for me. Like, just seeing that freaked the shit out of me. Uh, so, of course, at one of those nights, we're sitting there drinking the latest... Um, um, you know, double IPA from Wereverland. Remember the double IPAs were all you mm -hmm. wanted to get? Yeah, you those were pot people waited in line for intravenously those. Intravenously put double IPAs <laughs> through your body. <laughs> we're like, you know, maybe we could do a brewery. So we started talking about doing that brewery, doing this brewery yeah. uh, back then, like 2011, 2012. And we kept talking about it and talking about it. Um, and then eventually, you know, we're like, well, either we're going to just keep talking about it or we're going to do this. So are we going to do this? And we kept talking about it. And then uh, a property that we owned opened up on 33rd and Halstead. And I'm like, all right, look, at this point we met with, we were hanging out with Pipeworks kids and we met Drew. We, we saw people brewing on the psycho brew system. Yeah. If people don't know what that is, it's like a, um, an oversized um, kind of like stove with giant like 100 or 150 gallon pots that you brew your beer in and you transfer them over to different vessels and you could actually brew a larger scale batches of beer and, and package them and sell them. And we're like, well, if these guys could do it, uh, why don't we try to do that? So after brewing with them- I think a lot of people saw Pipeworks doing that and were like, oh, this is possible. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? No, they're yeah. pioneers and they actually helped um, a lot of people um, actualize their liquid dreams to uh, make beer and become a brewery. And we're like, let's just go for it. So the cost of entry is much lower. I mean, it's pretty high but it's much lower than buying a larger system or a, a complete system uh, that you see in most breweries or in brew pubs. Or that we're sitting behind right now. <laughs> yeah, like that. <laughs> that exactly. thing, that yeah. thing over there. <laughs> so we started brewing in the storefront on Halstead. Yeah, uh, it was tiny, right? Yeah. It yeah. was tiny. Yeah, we would make three and a half to four barrels of beer at a time. We'd hand bottle each one, and we would you know, keg a couple, keg three or four, six dolls or maybe a half barrel mm -hmm. every batch. And we did that for three years in that space, it, maybe even longer. It just seems like a weird dream right now. Um, just it, thinking about how horrifyingly difficult it was to yeah. just constantly brew, you know, anywhere from eight to 14 hours a day just to make 
liquid that we could sell. Right. Just grinding it out. Yeah. The, yeah. And, uh, you know, we first started off as like we were volunteering. Let's see if we could do this and figure this out. Then no one, then people who had to make, you know, their rent stopped working. And then we started paying one person, then another person to make it their real job. Um, so, when the, you know, last whatever, four years, we went from all volunteer thing to a couple people getting paid part time to them full time to uh, now I just can't even keep track of what the horrors of um, <laughs> what's happening uh, and, and hiring and, and the labor involved in producing liquid. Uh, so um, anyways, do you, do, do you see employees now and you don't know their name? No, I know everyone's name, at least, uh -huh. except there was a volunteer cat who was staging who I told to come in. Don't even remember seeing him. <laughs> he just showed up and uh, I was like, I told you to show up. It's <laughs> like, yeah, I'm like, that sounds like me. It does. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's that's how um, that Maria's led to creating Mars. I mean, we were hanging out there enjoying beers and we met all these brewers. And we also at that time started the Mashton Journal. You know, I do publications, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And we're like, where's the beer magazine? There's no, there's a beer advocate. There's like nothing in the Midwest. I didn't know about the, is it the Great Lakes paper up from Wisconsin or something? Or yeah, that's been, yeah, that's been going on. That's still, they still uh, print that, yeah, which and, is But we never amazing. got copies, you know, so. We, yeah, they didn't bring so, them south side, huh? So we started the Mash Chun Journal. And, you know, I thought, wow, let's really make the journal like a, you know, you know awesome looking, like it's a perfect bound book and it's make it really sweet. And, and I realized no one even knew what it really was. The, the covers were abstract art pieces. They were beautiful kind of artistic renderings of, uh, what beer looks like. Remember these? Yeah, I remember picking one of the mash tons up and yeah. not, and then being just blown away, yeah. but not really knowing what it was at yeah. the time and, and yeah, being I, like, holy shit, this yeah. is like, you know, put together right here in Chicago. And yeah. it, 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 I had it, no idea yeah. what it was. And, and someone brought like five or six copies to, uh, I, I went on the Lagunita skunk train. Oh sweet! <laughs> like, yeah, that's a whole. Oh, they nother, brought him on the trip. Great, it's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, but yeah, one of the brewers brought you know five nice. or six copies, and we were all passing it around on the bus yeah. on the way to Petaluma. This was five six years ago. Yeah, and uh, I was like, who who's doing this? This yeah. is you know, this is out of Chicago. You know, I I, I knew you. I you yeah. know. Uh, had no idea uh, it was even going on, and it was very good. Yeah, yeah. and oh, then yeah. you know started uh, uh, you know trying to find out where I could get them, you yeah. know? And, and yeah. uh, well, that's is, a, is that still being being yeah, printed and everything? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But the thing is we, we, we switched the format and made it free as opposed to available on newsstands or purchase at breweries because we could diverge here, but distribution and publications is a nightmare and getting paid by vendors sucks and it's not even worth your time. Mm -hmm. um, but doing Mash Chunt Journal then led to us meeting everybody in the industry and talking to them. And whenever I would interview people, I'd go, what tips do you have for opening a brewery? Because we're thinking about opening a brewery. Got any advice for us? And that's basically how I learned the beer business was through doing the publication, talking to brewers, talking to seller people, talking to owners, uh, talking to weirdos, alert, reading the stuff other people were uh, providing with the, for the publication. And that really was an, a major encouragement for us. You know, we interviewed, you know, Gabriel and we interviewed Tony from a lot of, like Tony, I'll never forget him saying like the hardest thing to do is to go from 2,000 barrels to 5,000. It's from Tony from Lagunitas? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, I remember him saying that. I'm like, we'll never even make 2,000. Who cares? We're just going to stay small forever. It's not going to be a big deal. <laughs> and um, 
you know, I really believe that here when we set this place up too, that we wouldn't go beyond 2000. We'd just be like a giant brew pub and everything's cool and yeah, who yeah. cares? But now we're like brewing. I don't even know how much we're going to make. It's We had to buy all these new tanks. But I'll remember that piece because I'm experiencing the pain that he gave me advice about, uh, whatever, four or five years ago. Um, you know, also Gabriel did some it was did a great interview as well. Um, Matt Brindelson was awesome, and just learning everyone's stories. It's like you'll see that it started with a passion. Like, oh, I was doing this, and I'm like, you know what? I want to start working here, or I think this we need a brewery in this location. All these stories were very um, convincing stories and very inspirational stories, and it led us to take that leap right mm -hmm. to start Mars and say yeah. whatever who cares it doesn't matter the only thing we can do is just make really good beer as long as we make good beer it doesn't matter what happens and we'll just try to figure out the best way to do so yeah and I think we we, we did with that small cycle brew system and now our our beer is like 10 times better than it used to be it's amazing I agree yeah yeah and let's talk about um the radio station yeah because I, I kind of feel like mash ton got you you know you were kind of like all your publications you're like you know this is like you said the the distribution's a nightmare uh the printing's a nightmare um you know why don't we have it i assume you said to yourself why don't we have our own radio station <laughs> well and you know it, it we, i actually tried getting a radio station out of college i was a firm believer in alternative media then and uh -huh. amplifying other people's voices forever and i remember going looking for stations for sale around the country <coughs> Uh, and I, I remember going to a place outside of they're, Champ. They're probably outside. a lot cheaper now, I imagine. Maybe. I, who knows? <laughs> you, you don't because the the uh, you know they they want to own all of them at once. I mean, there's uh, what is that company? Oh, what's wrong with me? Sinclair. Well, there's Sinclair, <laughs> but there's uh, one it's company like, owns sorry, all the radio guys. stations. Is Bruce okay over there? I'm, I'm Someone okay. check on Bruce. <laughs> sorry, guys. <laughs> oh man. Wrong pipe. Yep. <laughs> well, anyways, I, I went to this one station. Saw a few stations. Yeah. This radio station was run by a gentleman who was blind. And when I met him, I was like, well, I want to make sure the station hits Champaign-Urbana Champaign area. He's like, no problem. You can just go buy the station down the block over Mattoon, use it as a repeater, and it'll get there. I'm like, uh, are they for sale? No, oh, you could buy them, I'm sure. You, you buy my place, tell me you're buying it, and then you can get that one. And I'm like, I don't know if I could do that. He's like, if a blind man could run the station by himself, don't you think you can, young man? But I'm like... <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> just couldn't figure it out. I just didn't do it. I'm like, no, I can't figure it out. Because even back then in the 90s, my idea for a radio station was 80s music. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, moved to Chicago. Started, so we started Lumpa and started these other publications, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I always, I love radio. But even in the turn of the century, I, I also was a, a co-founder of a, a project called Supersphere, and we actually ran seven simultaneous 24-7 radio stations online. We had a live station in our office. So I'd already assembled uh, and figured out how to do that. We actually um, you know, basically made lumping on acid on the internet uh, at, at 1997 through 2001. Oh, okay. So um, anyways, the radio station happened because we have this nonprofit that we started after 2001. Mm -hmm. When I left the internet business, I said, screw this capitalist, like, pus of uh, existence i we formed this nonprofit that i no one ever got paid at uh forever uh to do all these media projects uh new media these festivals the mm -hmm. art projects and stuff and through doing all this media over time we got to know everyone all over the world who was doing interesting uh, diy alternative media new media projects and a gentleman from uh, portland emailed me in 2009 or 8 and said hey man 
it looks like the Obama administration is really going to let these low-power radio stations happen. And I'm like, whatever. I've been reading about this since 1992. It's not going to happen. He's like, no, it's really going to happen. I'm like, whatever. Uh, he sent me an email application form and just sat in my email box. Uh, we At the time, we always have interns coming in and out of the nonprofit working on Lumpen Magazine, and we explain all the different things we do. We have art exhibitions. We have talks. We got these publications. We have um, a festival that we do. We started a newsletter called the Bridgeport International. And what do you want to work on? And she's like, oh, I really like to work on audio. Do you have any podcasts or anything? I'm like, well, it's funny you say that. A buddy of mine just sent me an email about applying for this low-power FM radio station. Why don't you fill out the forms? So an intern filled out the forms, left us. A year later, I get an email uh, from her. It's like, hey, I got a reply from the federal, you know, for the FCC. Are you still interested in doing the radio station? I'm like, yeah, sure. Will you fill out these letters or sign your name on this form? I'm like, sure. Sign the letter. Six Six months, eight months go by, maybe six months. Forgot exactly the timeline. Yeah. I get another email like, do you really want to do a 24-7 FM radio station? I'm like, yep, sure. Because at the time we had applied, we were gonna we were willing to share it with other nonprofit groups doing eight hours a day. It was gonna mm-hmm. be a shared thing. It's like, well, all right, fill out this form. Filled out the form. The next day, congratulations. This is your building permit for your radio station 105.5 FM. <laughs> um, you can start building immediately. And I'm like, what? So, <laughs> yeah. So, so, I was freaking out. I'm like, this is exciting. It was great news. Like, oh, we could do this. And Turns I, out the blind man was right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's like a prophet. <laughs> so, it really freaked me out. And I just knew there was one person uh, who I could work with on Earth who could make this station happen. And it was Logan Bay. Mr. Logan Bay, yes. So, Logan was in Bangkok. And I'd seen Logan... Uh, once in a while, art shows and ex- exhibitions that would happen in the U.S., he would come and visit. And I go, dude, whenever you want to, I'm gonna. I would love to have you be to work at the nonprofit. You could run. You could be the director. You could do whatever you want. He's like, no way, Ed Marm. Are you paying anyone yet? I'm like, we'll find money for you. He's like, well, until you do, forget you, man. I'm not doing anything. Because Logan was a a great co-conspirator and co-producer of endless amounts of projects in the in the entire beginning of the century. We've done so much together, it's insane. So anyways, I'm like, listen, ma'am. I called him up. I'm like, dude, we just got this license. I can't believe it. It's like late December. It's like, oh, man. All right, cool. I'll do it. He moved here in February. We thought about what we wanted to do. We did an open call for submissions for shows and whatever. We figured out what it would cost to build the station. We figured out all the equipment we needed. And we came up with a plan. And by April... Uh, we we launched a website with a 24/7 stream with DJs on the air live from our from the gallery. You yeah. remember going in there back then? I do. And then uh, we did a giant fundraiser to raise funds for the antenna equipment, the microwave transmitter, yeah. all the gear required to uh, transmit the signal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was intense, man. And we and we got that puppy running on the air in no- November. So less than a year from some random. Uh, construction permit, we were able to launch an FM radio station in Chicago. And of course, through doing that, we worked with all the people we've been working with our whole lives, invited them to participate. Met Chris at one of those internet radio sessions that we were doing a show, and he was sitting there. Chris Quinn from the uh, Beer Temple Insider. And that's how we became friends. He stopped by, he's like, oh, I I do a podcast, I like to do a show. I'm like, okay, show up. 
Yeah. And he showed up and he demonstrated his ability to do the show. So in a sense, it, you know, lots of people are like, oh, I want to DJ, I want to do this, or I want a talk show. And it's like, well, all you got to do is make a pilot and send it to us. 90% of the people will never do that. No one will ever do the thing they want to do. So the people who are on the station are actually people who are producers, run record labels, or professional DJs. Uh, they maybe have been enthusiasts, but they have the ability to do a show. Like, look at what you're doing. You're like, I'm going to figure this out. By the way, this is my demo. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're supposed to, we're supposed, we were. still not going to listen th- to it. I think the problem is, I think the problem is, um, there's too much swearing on your program and it's against the FCC regulations. <laughs> hey, I've been on your radio station. I managed to tune it down. Now, my ability to make other people swear on your station is, is the problem. Very, yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. I, I <laughs> usually push people to the edge until they're like, fuck you, yeah. burger. And then yeah. we got to hit the button. Yeah. And the yeah. dump button doesn't work half the time. Oh, doesn't not? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's how that's that's how the F, that's how the station started. And of course, we called it Lumpen Radios, essentially Lumpen Magazine, but it's amplified, right, on the air. It's a cool project. It's one, you know. I remember you telling me about it, and I was kind of, you know, every time I think Ed Mar is full of shit. Yeah. You know, he proves me wrong. And that one was Thanks. quick, too, because yeah. you told me about it. And I was like, oh, sure, yeah, we're going to be, there's going to be a radio station. Sure. Yeah. Because I used to go in there and do the podcast. Yeah, you remember. Uh, when, way back You're when like, I this could is curse. never going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, whatever. We're like sitting in the middle of the co-prosperity sphere. Oh, yeah. And if you remember right, we were recording everything, archiving stuff so yeah. we could launch with all this programming. And yeah. we realized people were swearing and we didn't cut that out. <laughs> and we had to redo everything. Oh, no. I remember that. Like the month before we launched, Logan's like, Dude, people are swearing on half these shows. But <laughs> I, I remember Chris yeah. telling me, like, at the first one, he's like, um, you know, I prefer no swearing on this. And I was like, prefer? I mean, I, that sounds like I have a choice. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> seriously, that's how everyone took it. And at the end, he'd be like, you and Tracy were really swearing too much on this. I'm like, whatever, Chris. Yeah, well, it's a know, podcast. Well, what's the big yeah, deal? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, you know, the, I think the thing, too, about the station, too, of course, was that for a fundraiser, you know, we put out that Lump and Boogie 15 pack, which was a major fundraiser to r- raise funds for the for Lump and Radio. Oh, okay. We put out that 15 pack, which had three different cans of art. It came with a print, a T-shirt. It came with an album that was a cover album made by 15 different artists made cover tracks of 80 songs that you could download if you bought the the 15 pack. And the 15 pack looks like a boombox with Lump and Radio on it. And it was a it cost 50 bucks to get 12. Oh, it was a it was a, it was a twelve pack, not a fifteen pack. Sorry about that. Yeah, fifty bucks to get a twelve pack of lump and boogie beer, and the proceeds went to the station. And, and it we turned ra- out it cost you sixty bucks to produce. Oh it. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the problem. <laughs> that box was four fifty a box. <laughs> well, you know we we worked with uh, uh, Burnt City Cats. They were very generous, generous, and just donated their. You know, they didn't give us, they didn't charge us, upcharge us to make that beer at their facility oh, yeah. and package it. The sellers are nice guys. Yeah. So yeah. this kind of collaborative thing raised a lot of fun. It raised like 15,000 bucks, which we then used to buy some equipment. So that was the way that we were, you know, we looked at like, how does the brewery or these businesses work with all the art stuff and the cultural stuff? And it's, it's been, uh, it's been pretty amazing. Uh, you know, I call myself a successful failure at the beginning because I, I feel like I have been failing at making these artists and cultural endeavors be financially viable they've always been um break even or losing money constantly and all volunteer and now we have uh, one and a half persons working full-time on the nonprofit to to kind of organize and run these things actually two and a half people and 
I think what's happened is like through doing these other projects like the bar and doing this brewery, we're able to learn to apply some different ways of operating a nonprofit now. And in fact, um, you know, the brewery uh, actually spends a lot of money on uh, underwriting and advertising in the publications. So the brewery, in effect, helps fund the nonprofit. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 It turns out breweries and bars make money, right? Yeah, some money, but, you know, enough to enough to like not have to have three other jobs, I guess you could say. Right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I this is the first year where um, I feel really good about um, – not feeling like next week we're going to close if we don't sell a uh, hundred cases of beer. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Cause back in the working out of the uh, storefront and brewing those such small quantities, if we didn't sell for a week, it was over. Right. Forever. I mean, the whole time we're operating, we could close at any time. Well, let's talk about the, the, the brewery for, I guess this is a beer podcast. We should sure. talk about yeah. the brewery. We are sitting, uh, what's the address here that we're 3630 South iron street. Yeah. Okay. And it's, it's what, like, uh, how, how close is it to White Sox? To oh, about a mile. About a mile. It's yeah, close. A yeah. mile west. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so oh, if it's, you're down here for a game, it's a great spot to go. Right. Like a mile west of the guaranteed rate. Yeah. Sox Park, whatever yeah. it's called now. Yeah. 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 And uh, you're you know you're out here in, in an industrial area. Yeah. This is the first central manufacturing zone in Chicago. The central manufacturing district. So oh. Okay. First organized grid of manufacturing. Okay. Yeah. And what what did this used to be? This building made Comet brand balsa wood airplanes. And it was also awesome. used for Fannie Mae heart boxes, assembling of boxes. And I believe they also um, was storage for um, furniture company. It was also, this place was also vacant for, vacant in quotation marks for <laughs> about 10, 15 years. Were there some squatters in here as well? Yeah, at the time when I looked at this building and the story about looking at the building is great, but we don't have to go into it. When I got into the building, uh, the real, the real estate agent happened to be a friend of mine who just got the listing that day and saw me looking at the sign to call to see what the hell was up with this building, brought me inside. I'm upstairs on the third floor. There's a million outlets on the ceiling. There's cement poured on all the floors. There's, <laughs> like, a, there's like a maze of rooms and there's a bunch of weird tables and shelves that uh, have dirt and stuff on them. And yeah. I see, it was an illegal marijuana growing yeah. facility on the third floor. Oh. Yeah. Second floor was like a weird freeweight gym <laughs> with a lot of piss buckets and garbage and shit and Euro trash disco CDs littered throughout the weights. <laughs> so my theory is there was a gang or some organized crime zone. They, they, were the, they had a farmer who would farm the marijuana, thugs on the second floor, working out, guarding it. Yeah. And I believe I found a bunch of rave flyers in the, I found a bunch of rave, rave flyers in the basement. They threw a couple of parties down here. Oh, it's like an awesome history. Yeah. And I used to do tons of events in the building across this little alley here. In 2005, we've done a million, like a festival where we used 150,000 square feet of space to do exhibitions, performances, installations. So I've known about this building for a long time. And just to be, and just to be here in it after our history of being next door, Continues to blow my mind. Um, and the marijuana thing, I'm like, I knew it, man, because they put cement block win cement blocks in the windows, too, so you couldn't see in. Of course, yeah. But, yeah, yeah there's drains in the floor. I mean, each room has 100 outlets. They're just <laughs> – and the, so the best thing about the building is the power. They brought in new, <laughs> they brought in new power to power, like, the entire block. 
So I'm like, this building's pretty solid. I like the power. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. What's, you know, so we, we bit out and got it. You know, making one intoxicant to another. Yeah. Now, now it's producing beer. Yeah. That's and, great. And then when they legalize weed, uh, you can, you know, you can use those outlets. Back, yeah. uh, you know, just plug, plug the lights plug back plug in. The lights back. Plug the lights back in. <laughs> Get the plants yeah, yeah, ready. Yeah. Ready to go. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the bally's on the second. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know me, I'll probably do it if it's legalized. I'm going to grow weed. Yeah. yeah. I, I wouldn't I blame you. Yeah. I, yeah. I, don't, I no longer think you're full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, buddy. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, Pat. I look forward yeah. to yeah. rolling a fat yeah. Ed Marzuski <laughs> joint. <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> it's gonna be good. Um, let's talk about the beers a little bit. So, absolutely. Um, you know, I know you guys do uh, a wild program. We've poured a few of the uh, of the sour beers. Yep. They, yep. Uh, they're very popular. The oh, jungle. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. You know, there was a time a few years ago where like sours are gonna happen, and then it was overcome by milkshake IPAs and hazy IPAs. <laughs> remember? It's all. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if you remember yeah. that. For yes, sure. I do. Yeah. For sure. No, yeah, yeah. They 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 peaked a few years ago, but they they're here to stay. You know, yeah, sours we, we here love to stay. them. Yeah, we have a wide range of them. We used to have our kettle sour program because we discovered that uh, the, that lacto uh, plantarum that was isolated omega yeast labs. Right, it mm -hmm. allowed us to uh, sour beer at room temperature, which was kind of unheard of four years ago, and now everybody does it. But now what we're doing is we're we're, we're basically putting the bugs in these barrels, uh, and we're blending them. Uh, it's either a golden ale or a Berliner Weiss recipe. And, um, you know, Tim's doing, Tim Lang, our, our lead brewer now, is doing a fantastic job of uh, diversifying that program. We're doing a bunch of Brett bottle uh, conditioned uh, beers. We're doing um, a bunch of weird blends. We're doing a lot of hopped up barrel aged stuff as well. Mm. And of course, there's our line of our, our Gozas, um, our Berliner Weisses, like uh, Lifestyle has Gaiosa tea. Uh, you I'm drinking a jungle boogie. It's got some kind of tea yeah. in it, right? It's ro roibus with uh, um, mosaic hops, right in the in the beer. Yeah, and, and this one's pineapple. It's very oh, good. Oh yeah, we had fruit. Yeah, to the to the all the different boogies as well. Um, so we make a lot of beer with tea, yeah. right? We just made a matcha mochi uh, white imperial stout. We've made the lifestyle with gaiosa tea and yerba mate. We make the jungle boogie with. Uh, um, of the Roybus, and we made that collaboration beer with Dry Hop with uh, Arnie Palmer versus the Dragon Lady, uh, which had some black tea in it. it was okay. A, and it was a tea and lemon. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Paleo. Like, an, pretty, like a Arnie Palmer. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think one of the things which is exciting here is that we just mess around with a lot of weird shit and we keep fucking around. I mean, that uh, having that small system, that psycho brew, allowed us to experiment uh, without much. Well, if we did lose a batch, it meant a lot. It meant we like shit. We don't have any beer to sell. How are we going to pay the bills next month? Um, but we, we now have the Psycho Brew system here, and we have it hooked up. We're able to use Is it that. the old one from the, the same original? system. Yeah, yeah. In fact, we use that uh, intentionally, uh, even all of our old equipment, to make these smaller batch beers. Like test batch it. Test yeah. batch and experiment and put it in the pub only. And if we like them, then we make a larger batch and, and release those new SKUs, which has been happening uh, with a lot more frequency lately. But... Um, yeah, those are some of our core beers. I think, you know, of course, we have like um, our juicy or hazy beers. We, unlike many other breweries, we don't just put a different hop in our same recipe. We actually come up with new recipes. We must have like 12 different yeah. uh, core base recipes for our hazy beers. Uh, we do the, you know, kind of hazy, juicy, sour beers. We blend sours with the IPAs. Um, 
Yeah, the Cloudy Boys, I've seen that around in distribution a lot. That's yeah, a, Cloudy a, Boys yeah, just came yeah, out. Yeah. yeah, and that, of course, is a great story as well. An artist I worked with throughout the 21st century who's one of the pioneers of new media art and kind of like had an co artist collective that had music and art installations. They were called Paper Red. Uh, he's, he and his group uh, have traveled the world. They're, they're, they're pretty um, well-known within the art circles. He moved and became a teacher in Philadelphia. We used to have great parties with them. In fact, next door, they would play a lot <laughs> next door. Or at, they would even play at, in Chinatown at this place that we kind of had access to called uh, the Red Eye Room. Anyways, he shows up in Chicago. I see him on Facebook like two years ago. Like, welcome back, Jacob. It's going to be great to see you. Can't wait to see you, Edmar. A year goes by, right? Yeah. And uh, a friend of his is do, is did, a, did a show in the Ruben Kincaid Project Room, and he shows up. He's like, dude, you making you make you make beer now? I'm like, yeah, man, it's Mars Community Brewing. This is our brewery. Cool. You making these haze beers, huh? He's like, yeah. Oh man, I'm like, yeah. You like those Cloudy Boys? He's like, I love Cloudy Boys. That's a great name for a beer. I'm like, cool. Well, we're making we're making a lot of them. You want to make a label? Because his buddy made a label. He's uh -huh. like, I love to make a label, and we were gonna call it Cloudy Boys. I'm like, great, let's do it. So he makes the label on his style of artwork that he did, he always does, these little cartoons. Mm -hmm. But then he wrote a, like a 2,000 page essay on the release of the beer about why Cloudy Boys uh, relate to this kind of like cultural phenomenon of collecting. And he relates it to collecting independent music, comic books, and figurines. And that Cloudy Beer and Haze is just as important to the fanboy as uh, comic books were to fanboys in the past. So it's like you got to get every edition of every Cloudy Boy beer available in the market. It has the same kind of a fevered uh, um, kind of uh, a lifestyle people had in the 80s when they were collecting their figurines. And I'm like, this is incredible, Jacob. This is a new angle on beer I've never read in my life. Yeah. So and it's Pat, fun. Pat, Pat Berger collects hazy beers. Oh, yeah. He's, not only does he collect them, he puts them, he puts them in the oven. <laughs> Oh, I'm, Which I'm, one explodes first? <laughs> Taking some collections right now. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've softened on my, you know. It's, we all it, have. It, it's here. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. whatever. Yeah. You, you know. know and, um, yeah. And we, you know, whatever the kids like, you know. And we're we're making beers that um, we I didn't like think we'd make four years ago that we're making now. But right, the, right. the whole. You know, I like that example though. I like the analogy to yeah. like a comic book collector or fanboy of any any type. Yeah. You know whether it's music or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Those are the kind of guys who are really deep into the beer scene right sure. now. They're, those are the guys showing up to the releases and standing mm -hmm. in line. And, no, they're driving these. And beer they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is the same kind of mentality. It's a collector's mentality, mm -hmm. which beer didn't used to maybe have it's uh, oh, wines always had it that's true in terms of real collections um, yeah and like in a cellar well look at the 70s and 60s though people collecting cans i mean that's, oh, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah you're right i think yeah. it's around but the breweriana guys but they were always yeah. a little they were they were like another subset of beer nerd culture the breweriana guys like you kind of you know if you were like a beer nerd 20 years ago they were a whole nother subset. Yeah. And the sometimes, yeah, more sometimes we would yeah. mix with them and be like, oh, those guys are weird. weird. Yeah. <laughs> really weird, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and uh, yeah, now, now that it's all kind of come full circle, right? Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they're here. They're here to stay. Yeah. You know? Um, 
Well, this is awesome. Yeah. Um, we, I know you've got, uh, you've got to go. We've got to go. But before we go, mm-hmm. um, you know, unlike uh, Lumpen 105.5 uh, on beer opinions, you can make a call to action. You can oh, promote really? whatever you want. Oh, wow. Now is your chance for your shameless promotion. When's this, is this going to go on pretty soon? Up oh, on the interwebs? Prob- probably not. I don't know. <laughs> Well, <laughs> probably, if probably you could, about a week. Uh, if you could. Yeah, don't promote anything this weekend. Okay. Maybe the next weekend. Well, It'll you know, be out by Monday. On, on October 21st, Sunday. Oh, uh, that's enough time. Yeah, yeah. Um, from like 2 to 8, we're actually having our first real festival at this facility, and it's called the Liquid Dreams Festival. Okay. And we're calling it Liquid Dreams because it's the name of one of our beer, and it was always the code name for us to actually get to this place. We always said, you know, Liquid Dreams, we having operated a brewery in, in our neighborhood. Uh, that was functioning and people could drink at, hang out at, and it could become another third place and a place where we could help, um, you know, be part of this movement of What's, craft beer. When you say a festival, is this, it's, it's going to include other breweries? Yeah, in fact, it will. Um, a whole bunch uh, from local guys like Half Acre, Transient Artisan Ales, to Aslan, um, Mobcraft, Four Hands. A lot of the people we've worked with on collaborations and mm-hmm. our friends. So it's really a celebration of, the entire community that's helped us get to where we are today and this kind of community that we want to support as well and amplify as well. So really great, rare beers will, of course, come from our friends. We'll, we have some surprise barrel-aged stuff that's a surprise. We're going to have a weird jungle boogie bar, a Mars Cafe. As you may or may not know, we've launched a number of um, non-alcoholic pr- products and oh, stuff. Oh, I saw that on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. mention that real quick because yeah. that's interesting. Well, we, we, you know, we took our old system, the psycho brew system. Mm-hmm. We want to, we want to use all of our equipment when it's the bottling machine or canning machine. And we wanted to make some non-alcoholic um, options for people who came here. So we started making shrub sodas, kombucha, tea, like tea. And then we started messing around with cold brew coffee because we wanted to have this for, you know, people who visited here. Yeah. And when, and then, when you have a brewery, you pretty much have all the equipment to make exactly, this stuff. Exactly, to make right? everything. Yeah. So yeah. That's, huh. what, that's what we're doing. And we're putting, and we're putting it in cans or bottles and we're small, super, super small runs right now, but we hope to make that available to, to you and to stores all over the place. But we'll have a room or an installation where we're serving those products. Um, there'll cool. be lots of great chefs here. Um, some people who work at really you know, awesome restaurants like Parachute are doing their own pop-ups. Um, you got any music, DJs? Lots of music, yeah. DJs, all, and lumpen radio DJs, of course. And the entire thing is actually gonna be another fundraiser for the station. So they can buy a repeater to get the signal further south. Awesome. So oh, yeah, yeah, Liquid yeah. Dreams festivals uh, and, you know, it's just like uh, two to eight. We're doing a weird thing where you uh, purchase tokens to exchange because we notice a lot of delays in transactions when you're buying stuff. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to work the system out to make it very easy for people to get their sandwich or, or their treat or their, or their sample of beer um, really quickly. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Uh, Bruce, what do, you, what do you got shaking? Uh, I'm going to that fest. That sounds awesome. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, yeah. That's, it's going to be fun. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it'll it'll be the first time anyone actually gets to go on the brewery floor, too, oh, downstairs. Cool. So yeah. we'll have part of that opened up for people to check out. Yeah, no, that sounds that sounds great. And, um, yeah, from from my end, uh, just rocking and rolling with beer tours. Um, 
I feel like, um, you know, the neat thing about uh, beer, one of the, the things I like, I, sometimes I'm a seasonal drinker, mm-hmm. so I like it when some of the brown ales and some of the more alt- uh, autumn-focused uh, beers come out as well. So oh, our yeah. tours are starting to reflect that. we got some Oktoberfests and some brown ales and that sort of thing. And But, you know, uh, rocking and rolling. You so. should you should get us on your tour zone, baby. Uh, come on. Uh, yeah, Let's for go. sure. <laughs> what are you doing? So, uh, man, come on. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Go Absolutely. to Winer, go to Alulu, yeah. go to Low Res, go to Moody Tongue. Yeah. And maybe you could make it all the way down to uh, Horse Thief Hollow and those cats down there. Maybe that's too far. Yeah. Yeah, you got to get a bus. Yeah. yeah oh, are you doing bikes? We do uh, walking. Even, uh, oh, even walking tours? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you're down here, you would need some hovercraft. <laughs> yeah, get the... Yeah, the I want to see you all yeah. on the Segways. Yeah. One of these things. <laughs> that's a good idea, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know... <laughs> or the pub bike. Oh, God. Uh, oh, don't bring up the oh, pub bike, Tom. Jeez. Dude, uh, do it. No. Just get yeah, one. Yeah. He doesn't God, like it. Why? No, it's wrong. Just inflatable it's super pink wrong. penises all over the place, right? A pink, a giant pink penis bike. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we all wish just, we had. Just own it. Just go. Just go right into it. Are they it. really pink? <laughs> well, they, they you know, all the bachelorette parties on there. They they have like their blow up penises and they they scream. Man, I missed that. I, I want to check that scene out. <laughs> Where is that going on? Is that going on? They, on on while you're doing tours? You know, Chicago actually banned the bikes. Uh, so oh, it's uh, but yeah, uh, they banned yeah, the pedal bike, the, the pedal but, bars, whatever they were yeah. called. But if you go to Nashville, they have. Oh yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. major industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all yeah. that's mass transportation, actually. <laughs> Pedal pubs and yeah. Uh, I think and, even uh, Amsterdam pink. got rid of them. Yeah. and they are very tolerant. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. yeah. God, man, yeah. this world. It's, what's wrong with people? <laughs> Everyone hates fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, hey, I appreciate being on. Yeah. Oh, it is my pleasure. Thank you it so much for my having pleasure. us. I'm going to get my. Your plug. Shameless plug-in real quick. And uh, this is, we're doing a Bruzeum fundraiser for ah, those of you who don't know about Liz? the Bruzeum. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, with Liz, Liz Garibay, awesome. Pub Crawl Liz, as she's yeah. known at yeah. the Old Town Ale House. Uh, so a dollar of every single beer sold at Patty Long's on October 13th, that's a Saturday, will be going to the Bruzeum Project, which is exactly what you think it is, a beer museum that uh, will be having a, um, uh, a first look guest appearance at the Field Museum, which is going to be very, very cool. And Liz, uh, Liz Garaby, the director, has been collecting artifacts from uh, from all over to display at the Field Museum. And I believe that's where this oh my God, fundraiser is going fantastic. to. Yeah. Really? Yeah. She's going to yeah. have an exhibition there? Yes. That Isn't is, that, that's that, massive. It's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 yeah Super yeah. cool. She's a dynamo. Yeah. So uh, October, what I say, 13th? That's a Saturday. Uh, come to Patty Long's. Every beer you drink, a dollar will go to... The Bruzeum. That's great. Awesome. That's All great. right. I want to thank Ed Marr. Yeah, thank you, Ed. We pulled you Thanks, out of your guys. busy schedule, and uh, thank you for talking with us. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I hope someday I could say something that'll be of interest to your listeners. And- <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hopefully someday. Yeah. Yeah. I, you're the best guest because all I have to do is like hit record. Well, I don't hit record, obviously. And then we just uh, we ask a question and then an hour later I go, Way, shameless plug time. I love it. Love, it's yeah. great. <laughs> love it. Yeah. Uh, if you just shill, I'm in. Yes. Okay. Yes. You're the best. Thanks, Ed. All right. Thank, Thank you. Thanks for everyone yep. for listening. Beeropinions.co. Tell your friends. Write a review. iTunes. iTunes, Stitcher, I don't know. All over the place you can get it. Cheers. Cheers.